Alibi Ike by Ring Lardner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ryan Loner. His right name was Frank X. Farrell, and I guess the X stood for excuse me, because he never pulled a play, good or bad, on or off the field, without apologizing for it. Alibi Ike was the name Carey wished on him the first day he reported down south. Of course, we all cut out the alibi part of it right away for the fear he would overhear it and bust somebody. But we called him Ike right to his face, and the rest of it was understood by everybody on the club except Ike himself. He asked me one time, he says, What do you all call me Ike for? I ain't no yid. Gary gave you the name, I says. It's his nickname for everybody he takes a liking to. He mustn't have only a few friends then, says Ike. I never heard him say Ike to nobody else. But I was going to tell you about Carrie naming him. We'd been working out two weeks, and the pitchers was showing something when this bird joined us. His first day out, he stood up there so good and took such a reef at the old pill that he had everyone looking. Then him and Carrie was together in left field catching fungos, and it was after we was through for the day that Carrie told me about him. What do you think of Alibi Ike? asked Carrie. Who's that? I says. This here feral in the outfield, says Carrie. He looks like he could hit, I says. Yes, says Carrie, but he can't hit near as good as he can apologize. Then Carrie went on to tell me what Ike had been pulling out there. He dropped the first fly ball that was hit to him and told Carrie his glove wasn't broken good yet, and Carrie says the glove could easy have been Kid Gleason's grandfather. He made a whale of a catch out of the next one, and Carrie says, nice work, or something like that, but Ike says he could have caught the ball with his back turned, only he slipped when he started after it, and besides that, the air currents fooled him. I thought you'd done well to get to the ball, says Carrie. I ought to have been settin' under it, says Ike. What did you hit last year, Carrie asked him. I had malaria most of the season, says Ike. I wound up with 356. Where would I have to go to get malaria, says Carrie, but Ike didn't wise up. I and Carrie and him sat at the same table together for supper. It took him half an hour longer than us to eat because he had to excuse himself every time he lifted his fork. Doctor told me I nighted starch, he'd say, and then toss a shovel full of potatoes into him, or I ain't much meat on one of these chops, he'd tell us, and grab another one. Or he'd say, nothing like onions for a cold, and then he'd dip into the perfumery. Better try that applesauce, says Carrie. It'll help your malaria. Who's malaria, said Ike. He forgot already why he didn't only hit 356 last year. I and Carrie began to lead him on. Whereabouts did you say your home was, I asked him. I live with my folks, he says. We live in Kansas City, not right down in the business park, outside a ways. How's that come, says Carrie. I should think you'd get rooms in the post office. But Ike was too busy curing his cold to get that one. Are you married, I asked him. No, he says. I never run round much with girls except to shows once in a while and parties and dances and roller skating. Never take him to the prize fights, eh, says Carrie. We don't have no real good bout, says Ike, just bushed off. And I never figured a boxing match was a place for the ladies. Well, after supper, he pulled a cigar out and lit it. I was just going to ask him what he'd done it for, but he beat me to it. Kinda rests a man to smoke after a good workout, he says. Kinda settles a man's supper, too. Looks like a pretty good cigar, says Carrie. Yeah, says Ike. A friend of mine gave it to me, a fellow in Kansas City that runs a billiard room. Do you play billiards, I asked him. I used to play a fair game, he says. I'm all out of practice now, can't hardly make a shot. We coaxed him into a four-handed battle, him and Carrie against Jack Mack and I. 
say he couldn't play billiards as good as Willie Hop, not quite. But to hear him tell it, he didn't make a good shot all evening. I'd leave him an awful-looking layout, and he'd gather him up in one try, and then run a couple of hundred. And between every carom, he'd say he'd put too much stuff on the ball, or the English didn't take, or the table wasn't true, or his stick was crooked, or something. And all the time, he had the balls acting like they was Dutch soldiers and him, Kaiser William. We started out to play 50 points, but we had to make it a 1,000, so as I and Jack and Carrie could try the table. The four of us sat round the lobby a while after we was through playing, and when it got along toward bedtime, Carrie whispered to me and says, I could like to go to bed, but he can't think up no excuse. Carrie hadn't hardly finished whispering when I got up and pulled it. Well, good night, boys, he says. I ain't sleepy, but I got some gravel in my shoes and it's killing my feet. We knowed he hadn't never left the hotel since we'd came in from the grounds and changed our clothes. So, Carrie says, I should think they'd take them gravel pits out of the billiard room. But Ike was already on his way to the elevator, limping. He's got the world beat, said Carrie to Jack and I. I know lots of guys that had an alibi for every mistake they made. I heard pitchers say that the ball slipped when somebody cracked one off of them. I heard infielders complain of a sore arm after heaving one into the stand. And I saw outfielders took and sick with a dizzy spell when they misjudged a fly ball. But this baby can't even go to bed without apologizing, and I bet he excuses himself to the razor when he gets ready to shave. And that, said Jack, he's going to make us a good man. Yes, says Carrie, unless rheumatism keeps his batting average down to 400. Well, sir, I kept wailing away at the ball all through the trip till everybody knowed he'd won a job. Cap had him in there regular the last few exhibition games and told the newspaper boys a week before the season opened that he was going to start him in Kane's place. You're there, kid, says Carrie to Wyke, the night Cap made the announcement. There ain't many boys that wins a big league berth their third year out. Might have been up here a year ago, says Ike, only I was bent over all season with lumbago. It rained down in Cincinnati one day, and somebody organized a little game of cards. They were shy two men to make six, and asked I and Carrie to play. I'm with you if you get Ike and make it seven-handed, says Carrie. So they got hold of Ike, and we went up to Smitty's room. I pretty near forgot how many you deal, says Ike. It's been a long while since I played. I and Carrie gave each other the wink, and sure enough, he was just as ignorant about poker as billiards. About the second hand, the pot was open two or three ahead of him, and they was three in when it came his turn. It cost a buck, and he throwed in two. It's raised, boys, somebody says. Gosh, that's right, I did raise it, says Ike. Kick out a buck if you didn't mean to tilt her, says Carrie. No, says Ike, I'll leave it go. Well, it was raised back at him, and then he made another mistake and raised again. There was only three left in when the draw come. Smitty'd opened with a pair of kings, and he didn't help him. Ike stood pat. The guy that raised him back was flushing, and he didn't fill. So Smitty checked, and Ike bet and didn't get no call. He tossed his hand away, but I grabbed it and give it a look. He had king, queen, jack, and two tens. Alibi Ike, he must have seen me peeking, for he leaned over and whispered to me. I overlooked my hand, he says. I thought all the while it was a straight. Yes, I says, that's why you're raised twice by mistake. There was another pot that he come into with tens and fours. It was tilted a couple of times, and two of the strong fellows drawed ahead of Ike. They each drawed one. So Ike threw away his little pair and come out with four tens, and there was four trays against him. Harry looked at Ike's discards, and then he says, It's like he bum-busted two pair. No, no, I didn't, says Ike. Yes, yes, you did, says Carrie, and shows us the two fours. What do you know about that, says Ike. I'd have swore one was a five spot. Well, we hadn't had no payday yet, and after a while, everybody except Ike was going shy. I could see him getting restless, and I was wondering how he'd make the getaway. He tried two or three times. I gotta buy some collars before supper, he says.
No hurry, says Smitty. The stars here keep open all night in April. After a minute, he opened up again. My uncle out in Nebraska ain't expected to live, he says. I ought to send a telegram. Would that save him, says Gary. Nope, it sure wouldn't, says Ike. But I ought to leave my old man know where I'm at. When did you hear about your uncle, says Gary. Just this morning, says Ike. Who told you, asked Gary. I got a wire from my old man, says Ike. Well, says Carrie, your old man knows you're still here, yet this afternoon, if you was here this morning, trains leaving Cincinnati in the middle of the day, don't carry no ball clubs. Yes, says Ike, that's true, but he didn't know where I'm going to be next week. Ain't he got no schedule? asked Carrie. I send him on opening day, says Ike, but it takes mail a long time to get to Idaho. I thought your old man lived in Kansas City, says Carrie. He does when he's home, says Ike. But now, says Carrie, I suppose he's went to Idaho so as he can be near your sick uncle in Nebraska. He's visiting my other uncle in Idaho. Then how does he keep posted about your sick uncle? asked Carrie. He don't, says Ike. He don't even know my other uncle's sick. That's why I ought to wire and tell him. Good night, says Carrie. What town in Idaho is your old man at? I says. Ike thought it over. No town at all, he says, but he's near a town. Near what town? I says. Yuma, says Ike. Well, by this time, he lost two or three pots and he was desperate. We was playing just as fast as we could because we'd seen he couldn't hold it much longer. But he was trying so hard to frame an escape that he couldn't pay no attention to the cards, and it looked like we'd get his whole pile away from him if we could make him stick. The telephone saved him. The minute it began to ring, five of us jumped for it, but Ike was there first. Yes, he says, answering it. This is him. I'll come right down. And he slammed up the receiver and beat it out of the door without even saying goodbye. Smitty ought to lock the door, says Carrie. What did he win? asked Carrie. We figured it up, sixty-odd bucks. And the next time we ask him to play, says Carrie, his fingers will be so stiff he can't hold the cards. Well, we sat round a while talking it over, and pretty soon the telephone rings again. Smitty answered it. It was a friend of his and from Hamilton, and he wanted to know why Smitty didn't hurry down. He was the one that had called before, and Ike had told him he was Smitty. Ike had ought to split it with Smitty's friend, said Carrie. No, I says, he'll need all he won. It costs money to buy collars and to send telegrams from Cincinnati to your old man in Texas and keep him posted on the health of your uncle in Cedar Rapids, D.C. And you ought to hurt him out there on that field. There wasn't a day when he didn't pull six or seven, and it didn't make no difference whether he was going good or bad. If he popped up in the pinch, he should have made a base hit, and the reason he didn't was so-and-so. And if he cracked one for three bases, he ought to have had a home run, only the ball wasn't lively, or the wind brought it back, or he tripped on a lump of dirt right in first base. There was one afternoon in New York where he beat all records. Big Markward was working against us, and he was good. In the first inning, Ike hit one clear over that right field stand, but it was a few feet foul. Then he got another foul, and then the count come to two and two. Then Rube slipped one across on him, and he was called out. What do you know about that, he says afterward on the bench. I lost count. I thought it was three and one, and I took a strike. You took a strike, all right, says Gary. Even the umps know it was a strike. Yes, says Ike, but you can bet I wouldn't have took it if I knew it was the third one. The scoreboard had it wrong. That scoreboard ain't for you to look at, says Cap. It's for you to hit that old pill against. Well, says Ike, I could have hit that one over the scoreboard if I knew it was the third. Was it a good ball, I says. Well, no, it wasn't, says Ike. It was inside. How far inside, says Carrie. Oh, two or three inches or half a foot, says Ike. I guess you wouldn't have threatened the scoreboard with it then, says Cap. I'd have pulled it down the right foul line if I hadn't thought he'd call it a ball, says Ike. Well, in New York's part of the inning, Doyle cracked one and Ike run back a mile and a half and caught it with one hand.
We was all saying what a whale of a play it was, but he had to apologize just the same as for getting struck out. That stands so high, he says, that a man don't never see a ball till it's right on top of you. Didn't you see that one? asked Cap. Not at first, says Ike. Not till it raised up above the roof of the stand. Then why did you start back as soon as the ball was hit, says Cap. I know by the sound that he got a good hold of it, said Ike. Yes, says Cap, but how'd you know what direction to run in? Doyle usually hits them that way, the way I run, says Ike. Why don't you play blindfolded, says Carrie. Might as well with that big high stand-up bother a man, says Ike. If I could have saw the ball all the time, I'd have got it in my hip pocket. Along in the fifth, we was one run to the bat, and Ike got on with one out. On the first ball throw to Smitty, Ike went down. The ball was outside, and Myers throwed Ike out by ten feet. You could see Ike's lips moving all the way to the bench, and when he got there, he had his piece learned. Why didn't he swing, he says. Why didn't you wait for his sign, says Cap. He give me a sign, says Ike. What is his sign with you, says Cap. Pecking up some dirt with his right hand, says Ike. Well, I didn't see him do it, Cap says. He done it all right, says Ike. Well, Smitty went out, and there wasn't no more argument till they come in for the next inning. Then Cap opened it up. You fellows better get your sign straight, he says. You mean me, says Smitty. Yes, Cap says. What's your sign with Ike? Sliding my left hand up to the end of the bat and back, says Smitty. Do you hear that, Ike? asked Cap. What of it, says Ike. You says his sign was picking up dirt, and he says it's sliding his hand, which is right. I'm right, says Smitty. But if you're arguing about him going last in, and I didn't give him no sign. You pulled your cap down with your right hand, didn't you? asked Ike. Well, suppose I did, says Smitty. That don't mean nothing. I never told you to take that for a sign, did I? I thought maybe you meant to tell me and forgot, says Ike. They couldn't none of us answer that, and they wouldn't have been no more said if I could shut up. But while we was getting there, Carrie got on with two out and stole second clean. There, says Ike. That's what I was trying to do, and I'd got away with it if Smitty'd swung and bothered the Indian. Oh, says Smitty. You was trying to steal then, was you? I thought you claimed I'd give you the hit and run. I didn't claim no such a thing, says Ike. I thought maybe you might have given me a sign, but I was going anyway because I thought I had a good start. Cap probably would have hit him with a bat, only just about that time Doyle booted one on Hayes and Carey come across with a run that tied. Well, we go into the ninth finally, one and one, and Markward walks McDonald with nobody out. Lay it down, says Cap to Ike. And Ike goes up there with orders to bunt and cracks the first ball into that right field stand. It was fair this time and were two ahead, but I didn't think about that at the time. I was too busy watching Cap's face. First he turned pale, and then he got as red as fire, and then he got blue and purple, and finally he just laid back and busted out laughing. So we wasn't afraid to laugh ourselves when we see him doing it, and when Ike come in, everybody on the bench was in hysterics. But instead of taking advantage, Ike had to try and excuse himself. His play was to shut up, and he didn't know how to make it. Well, he says, if I hadn't hit quite so quick of that one, I'd better have cleared the center field fence. Cap stopped laughing. It'll cost you a plain fifty, he says. What for, says Ike. When I say bunt, I mean bunt, says Cap. You didn't say bunt, says Ike. I says lay it down, says Cap. If that don't mean bunt, what does it mean? Lay it down means bunt all right, says Ike. But I understood you to say lay on it. All right, says Cap, and the little misunderstanding will cost you fifty. Ike didn't say nothing for a few minutes. Then he had another bright idea. I was just kidding about misunderstanding you, he says. I knowed you wanted me to bunt. Well, then why didn't you bunt? asked Cap. 
I was going to on the next ball, says Ike, but I thought if I took a good wallop, I'd have them all fooled. So I walloped at the first one to fool him, and I didn't have no intention of hitting it. You tried to miss it, did you, says Cap. Yes, says Ike. How'd you happen to hit it, asked Cap. Well, Ike said, I was looking for him to throw me a fast one, and I was going to swing under it. But he'd come in with a hook, and I met it right square where I was swinging to go under the fast one. Great, says Cap. Boys, he says, Ike's learned how to hit Markward's curve, pretend a fast one's coming, and then try to miss it. It's a good thing to know, and Ike ought to be willing to pay for the lesson. So I'm going to make it a hundred instead of fifty. The game wound up three to one. The fine didn't go because Ike hit like a wild man all through that trip, and we made pretty near a cleanup. The night we went to Philly, I got him cornered in the car, and I says to him, forget them alibis for a while and tell me something. What'd you do that for? Swing that time against Markward when you was told to bunt. I'll tell you, he says, that ball he threw me looked just like the one I struck out on the first inning, and I wanted to show Cap what I could have done to that other one if I knew it was the third strike. But, I says, the one you struck out on in the first inning was a fastball. So was the one I cracked in the ninth, says Ike. You've saw Cap's wife, of course. Well, her sister's about twicked as good-looking as her, and that's going some. Cap took his missus down to St. Louis the second trip, and the other one come down for St. Joe to visit her. Her name is Dolly, and some doll is right. Well, Cap was going to take the two sisters to a show, and he wanted a bow for Dolly. He left it to her, and she picked Ike. He did three on the nose that afternoon, often Sally, too. They fell for each other that first evening. Cap told us how it come off. She began flattering Ike for the star game he'd played, and of course, he began excusing himself for not doing better. So, she thought he was modest, and it went strong with her. And she believed everything he said, and that made her solid with him. That in her makeup. They was together every morning and evening for the five days we was there. In the afternoon, Ike played the grandest ball you ever see, hitting and running the bases like a fool and catching everything that stayed in the park. I told Cap, I says, you'd ought to keep the doll with us and he'd make Cobb's figures look sick. But Dolly had to go back to St. Joe and we come home for a long series. Well, for the next three weeks, Ike had a letter to read every day and he'd sit in the clubhouse reading it till morning practice was half over. Cap didn't say nothing to him because he was going so good, but I and Carrie wasted a lot of our time trying to get him to own up who the letters was from. Fine chance. What are you reading, Carrie'd say. A bill? No, I'd say. Not exactly a bill. It's a letter from a fellow I used to go to school with. High school or college, I'd ask him. College, he'd say. What college, I'd say. Then he'd stall a while, and then he'd say, I didn't go to the college myself, but my friend went there. How did it happen you didn't go, Carrie'd ask him. Well, he'd say, there wasn't no colleges near where I lived. Didn't you live in Kansas City? I'd say to him. One time he'd say he did, and another time he didn't. One time he says he lived in Michigan. Where at? says Carrie. Near Detroit, he says. Well, I says, Detroit's near Ann Arbor, and that's where they got the university. Yes, says Ike, they got it there now, but they didn't have it there then. I come pretty near going to Syracuse, I says, only there wasn't no railroads running through there in them days. Where this friend of yours got a college, says Carrie. I forgot now, says Ike. Was it Carlisle? asked Carrie. No, says Ike. His folks wasn't very well off. That's what barred me from Smith, I says. I was going to tackle Cornell, says Carrie, but the doctor told me I'd have hay fever if I didn't stay up north. Your friend writes long letters, I says. Yes, says Ike. He's telling me about a ball player. Where does he play? asked Carrie. Down in the Texas League, Fort Wayne, says Ike. It looks like a girl's writing, Carrie says. The girl wrote it, says Ike. That's my front sister writing for him. Didn't they teach writing at this college where he went? says Carrie. Sure, Ike says. They taught writing, but he got his hand cut off in a railroad wreck. How long ago? I says. 
right after he got out of college, says Ike. Well, I says, I should think he'd have learned to write with his left hand by this time. It's his left hand that was cut off, says Ike, and he was left-handed. You get a letter every day, says Carrie. They're all the same writing. Is he telling you about a different ball player every time he writes? No, Ike says, it's the same ball player. He just tells me what he does every day. From the size of the letters, they don't play nothing but double headers down there, says Carrie. We figured that Ike spent most of his evening answering the letters from his friend's sister, so we kept trying to date him up for shows and parties to see how he'd duck out of them. He was bugs over spaghetti, so we told him one day that there was going to be a big feat of it over to Joe's that night, and he was invited. How long will it last, he says. Well, he says, we're going right over there after the game and stay till they close up. I can't go, he says, unless they leave me come home at eight bells. Nothing doing, says Carrie. Joe gets sore. I can't go then, says Ike. Why not? I asked him. Well, he says, my landlady locks up the house at eight and I left my key home. You can come and stay with me, says Carrie. No, he says, I can't sleep in a strange bed. How do you get along when we're on the road, says I. I don't never sleep the first night anywhere, he says. After that, I'm all right. You'll have time to chase home and get your key right after the game, I told him. The key ain't home, says Ike. I lent it to one of the other fellows and he's went out of town and took it with him. Couldn't you borrow another key off the landlady, Carrie asked him. No, he says, that's the only one they is. Well, the day before we started east again, I come into the clubhouse all smiles. Your birthday? I asked him. No, he says. What do you feel so good about? I says. Got a letter from my old man, he says. My uncle's going to get well. Is that the one in Nebraska, says I? Not right in Nebraska, says Ike, near there. But afterwards, we got the right dough from Cap. Dolly blew in from Missouri and was going to make the trip with her sister. Well, I want to alibi Carrie and I for what come off in Boston. If we'd have had any idea what we was doing, we'd never did it. There wasn't nobody outside of maybe Ike and the dame that felt worse over it than I and Carrie. The first two days, we didn't see nothing of Ike and her except out of the park. The rest of the time, they were sightseeing over to Cambridge and down to Revere and out to Brookline and all the other places where the rubes go. But when we come into the beanery after the third game, Cap's wife called us over. If you want to see something pretty, she says, look at the third finger and Sis's left hand. Well, of course, we know before we looked that it wasn't going to be no hangnail. Nobody was surprised when Dolly blew into the dining room with it, a rock that I could bought off in Diamond Joe the first trip to New York. Only, of course, it had been set into a lady size ring instead of the automobile tire he'd been wearing. Cap and his missus and Ike and Dolly get supper together, only Ike didn't eat nothing but just sat there blushing and spilling things on the tablecloth. I heard him excusing himself for not having no appetite. He says he couldn't never eat when he was close to the ocean. He forgot about them 65 oysters he destroyed the first night of the trip before. He was going to take her to a show, so after supper he went upstairs to change his collar. She had to doll up too, and of course Ike was through long before her. If you remember the hotel in Boston, there's a little parlor where the piano's at, and then there's another little parlor opening off of that. Well, when Ike come down, Smitty was playing a few chords, and I and Carrie was harmonizing. We seen Ike go up to the desk to leave his key, and we called him in. He tried to duck away, but we wouldn't stand for it. We asked him what he was all duded up for, and he says he was going to the theater. Going alone, says Carrie. No, he says, a friend of mine's going with me. What do you say if we go along, says Carrie. I ain't only got two tickets, he says. Well, says Carrie, we can go down there with you and buy our own seats, and maybe we can all get together. No, says Ike, they ain't no more seats. They're all sold out. We can buy some off in the scalper, says Carrie. I wouldn't if I was you, says Ike. They say the show's rotten. What are you going for, then, I asked. I didn't hear about it being rotten till I got the tickets, he says. Well, I says, if you don't want to go, I'll buy the tickets from you. No, says Ike, I wouldn't want to cheat you. I'm stung and I'll just have to stand for it.
What are you going to do with the girl? Leave her here at the hotel? I says. What girl? Says Ike. The girl you got supper with, I says. Oh, he says. We just happened to go into the dining room together, that's all. Cap wanted I should sit down with him. I noticed, said Carrie, that she happens to be wearing that rock you bought off in Diamond Joe. Yes, says Ike. I lent it to her for a while. Did you lend her the new ring that goes with it? I says. She had that already, said Ike. She lost the set out of it. I wouldn't trust no strange girl with a rock of mine, says Carrie. Oh, my gosh, she's all right, Ike says. Besides, I was tired of the stone. When a girl asks you for something, what are you going to do? He started out toward the desk, but we flagged him. Wait a minute, Carrie says. I got a bet with Sam here, and it's up to you to settle it. Well, says Ike, make it snappy. My friend will be here any minute. I bet, says Carrie, that you and that girl was engaged to be married. Nothing to it, says Ike. Now look here, says Carrie. This is going to cost me real money if I lose. Cut out the alibi stuff and give it to us straight. Cap's wife just as good as told us he was roped. Ike blushed like a kid. Well, boys, he said, I might as well own up. You win, Carrie. Yet a boy, says Carrie. Congratulations. You got a swell girl, Ike, I says. She's a peach, says Smitty. Well, I guess she's okay, says Ike. I don't know much about girls. Didn't you never run around with them, I says. Oh, yes, plenty of them, says Ike. But I never see nine fall for em. That is, till you see this one, says Carrie. Well, says Ike, this one's okay, but I wasn't thinking about getting married yet a while. Who done the asking, her, says Carrie. Oh, no, says Ike, but sometimes a man don't know what he's getting into. Take a good-looking girl, and a man generally almost always does about what she wants him to. They couldn't no girl lasso me unless I wanted to be lassoed, says Smitty. Oh, I don't know, says Ike. When a fellow gets to feeling sorry for one of them, it's all off. Well, we left him go after shaking hands all around, but he didn't take Dolly to no show that night. Sometime while we was talking, she'd come into that other parlor, and she stood there and heard us. I don't know how much she heard, but it was enough. Dolly and Cap's missus took the midnight train for New York, and from there, Cap's wife sent her on her way back to Missouri. She'd left the ring and a note for Ike with the clerk, but we didn't ask Ike if the note was from his friend in Fort Wayne, Texas. When we'd came to Boston, Ike was hitting plane 397. When we got back home, he'd fell off to pretty near nothing. He hadn't drove one out of the infield in any of them other eastern parks, and he didn't even give no excuse for it. To show you how bad he was, he struck out three times in Brooklyn one day and never opened his trap when Cap asked him what was the matter. Before, if he'd whipped once in a game, he'd have wrote a book telling why. Well, we dropped from first place to fifth in four weeks, and we were still going down. I and Carrie was about the only ones in the club that spoke to each other, and as all we did was remind ourselves of what a boner we'd pulled. It's going to beat us out of the big money, says Carrie. Yes, I says. I don't want to knock my own ball club, but it looks like a one-man team, and when that one man daubers down, we couldn't trim our whiskers. We ought to know better, says Carrie. Yes, I says, but why should a man pull an alibi for being engaged to such a bear cat as she was? He shouldn't, says Carrie. But I and you knowed he would, or we'd never started talking to him about it. He wasn't no more ashamed of the girl than I am of a regular base hit, but he just can't come clean on no subject. Cap had the whole story, and I and Carrie was as popular with him as an umpire. What do you want me to do, Cap? Carrie said to him before going up to hit. Use your own judgment, Cap tell him. We want to lose another game. But finally, one night in Pittsburgh, Cap had a letter from his missus, and he come to us with it. You fellas, he says, is the ones that put us on the bum, and if you're sorry, I think there's a chance for you to make good. The old lady's out to St. Joe, and she's been trying her hardest to fix things up. She's explained that I don't mean nothing with his talk. I wrote and explained that to Dolly, too. But the old lady says that Dolly says that she can't believe it. But Dolly's still stuck on this baby, and she's pining away just the same as Ike. 
and the old lady says she thinks if you two fellows would write to the girl and explain how you was always kidding with Ike and leading him on, and how the ball club was all shot to pieces since Ike quit hitting, and how he acted like he was going to kill himself on this and that, she'd fall for it and maybe soften down. Dolly, the old lady says, would believe you before she'd believe I and the old lady, because she thinks it's her we're sorry for, not him. Well, I and Carrie was only too glad to try and see what we could do, but it wasn't no snap. We wrote about eight letters before we got one that looked good. Then we gave it to the stenographer and had it wrote out on a typewriter, and both of us signed it. It was Carrie's idea that made the letter look good. He stuck in something about the world's serious money that our wives wasn't going to spend unless she took pity on a boy who was so shy and modest that he was afraid to come right out and say that he'd ask such a beautiful and handsome girl to become his bride. That's probably what got her. Or maybe she wouldn't have held out much longer anyway. It was four days after we sent the letter that Cap heard from his missus again. We was in Cincinnati. We've won, he says to us. The old lady says that Dolly says that she'll give him another chance. But the old lady says it won't do no good for Ike to write a letter. He'll have to go out there. Send him in tonight, says Carrie. I'll pay half his fare, I says. I'll pay the other half, says Carrie. No, says Cap. The club will pay his expenses. I'll send him scouting. Are you going to send him tonight? Sure, says Cap. But I'm going to break the news to him right now. It's time we win a ball game. So in the clubhouse, just before the game, Cap told him. And I certainly felt sorry for Rube Benton and Red Ames that afternoon. I and Carrie was standing in front of the hotel that night when Ike came out with his suitcase. Sent home, I says to him. No, he says. I'm going scouting. Where to, I says. Fort Wayne. No, not exactly, he says. Well, says Carrie, have a good time. I ain't looking for no good time, says Ike. I says I was going scouting. Well then, says Carrie, I hope you see somebody you like. And you better have a drink before you go, I says. Well, says Ike, they claim it helps a cold. End of Alibi Ike by Ring Lardner. Recording by Ryan Loner.